Our text for this morning comes from Psalm 57. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me and follow along as I read. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in thee my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample upon me. God will send forth his steadfast love and his faithfulness. I lie in the midst of lions that greedily devour the sons of men. Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongues sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to thee among the nations, for thy steadfast love is great to the heavens, thy faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be over all the earth. I wonder if you find it as significant as I do that the greatest worship leader in the history of Israel, King David, wrote all of his songs and uh, sang all of his psalms and led all of his praise processions and gave the ideal, biblical model of God-centered, deep, passionate, vital worship before there was a temple in Israel. Solomon built the temple, the son of David, not David. The great period of Israel's worship its creative power, its God-centeredness, its depth, its vitality, its reality, the great generation of Israel's worship was before they had any house in which to gather. Now what's the significance of that plain, straightforward, biblical, historical fact? What's the meaning of it for Israel? Well, I think it's real plain. The temple that Solomon built was not essential for worship in Israel. The great point of putting poet David before builder Solomon was to declare the clear, unassailable truth that no building in Israel was necessary to worship God. It was not essential. Surely that was God's point in not reversing the historical order of Solomon the builder and David the singer of God. 
And for us, I think the lesson is similar. Namely, this sanctuary where we are today is not essential in the life of this church. It is not essential to high, strong, deep, powerful, real, authentic, God-centered worship. Now mark it. It was God's will that the temple be built in the Old Testament. I just read that again this morning, 1 Kings 7 and 8. Not only was it God's will that the temple be built, it was God's will that all the people unite with overflowing generosity to build it. Therefore, I believe even similarly that it was God's will that this building be built. I can remember like it was yesterday, October 25th, 1987, six days after the worst stock market crash since the Great Depression, when you voted three hours before the Twins won the World Series (laughs) at a percentage of 93% to build this building. And I believe you discerned the mind of God when you voted that. I believe it is God himself that's putting it in your hearts to pay for it. And I thank God for you and your generosity. And I think things are going well. But unlike Israel, I believe that the days of the greatest worship and the days of greatest ministry and mission are in front of Bethlehem and not behind us. If we will learn the lesson God was trying to teach in the order of David and then Solomon, the poet and then the builder, the worship leader and then the architect, both important but in a certain order. If we will learn that lesson, if we will take it to heart that some things are essential and some things are not essential, then the non-essentials will be blessed of God. And this Psalm 57 is one of the ways that God has to teach us what the essentials are. And I see four. And I want to just unfold them with you. And before I do, I want us to bow in prayer and ask that God would come and be our teacher and that God would drill these essentials into our hearts so deeply that the blessing will come upon this room. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, I long so much that your word would speak itself now, that you, by your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus, would come and enunciate clearly at least four essentials to vital, God-centered, authentic worship which would move you to come and bless this building with your presence. So, Lord, have mercy, I pray, upon this effort to make these essentials plain. Be the teacher in this moment, I pray, and touch these people in ways that I could never dream. Cleansing of sin, lifting up the downcast, humbling the proud, healing those who are broken or diseased, 
and mending relationships in ways that I could never have imagined through your powerful word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have them in four H's. That helps you remember the letter H. And they go like this. Hazard, humble, hope, and hail. Now those are essentials. And let me unpack them from the text one at a time. First, putting them in sentences. True worship comes from the impulse to hazard things for the name of God. Second, True worship comes from the impulse to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Third, true worship comes from the impulse to hope in the triumph of the sovereign God. And fourth, true worship comes from the impulse to hail God among the peoples, which is what we're going to do in about half an hour. Where these four essentials are missing, no building in all the world will make worship happen. And where these four essentials are present, God will bless the building, whether it's new or whether it's old. And that's what we want to happen. Number one, true worship comes from the impulse to hazard things for the name of God. Now, to see this, you need to see the title of the psalm. The titles were not written by the editors unless uh, it's in a different kind of print in your Bible. You have to be careful. Editors stick in things. But uh, David wrote his own titles. And when he did, we need to read them. And the title over Psalm 57 is A Miktam of David. Nobody knows what Miktam means. Some kind of psalm or song or lament. A Miktam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Now, the situation from 1 Samuel 24 is, is plain. David, with about 600 men is on the run from Saul, the king of Israel. And Saul, with 3,000 chosen warriors, is chasing him. So the odds are 5 to 1, and they've trapped him in a cave. They don't know that, but they've trapped him in a cave. Odds are 5 to 1. Now, that's the situation out of which this worship, this worship comes now, to grasp the importance here of the worship, you need to realize that the reason David is in a hazardous situation is because God anointed him to be king in Saul's place. And so it's God that got, got David into trouble here. And he's in trouble, moreover, because God is blessing his, his efforts. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands, because the hand of God is on him. And that means he's in trouble. He's in a hazardous circumstance. Now, David did not have to do this. He didn't have to accept this. He could have said to God and to Samuel when they anointed him, no, thank you. I don't need that kind of trouble in my life. I don't need that kind of danger. I don't need any more hazards in my life than I had when the bear and the lion attacked me. Thank you. Take your anointing. I don't want to be king. He could have said that and taken the easy route and avoided discomfort, avoided hazard, avoided insecurity, 
could have done that, but he didn't. He chose to submit himself to God's call and to accept the hazards of obedience. He said to Jonathan one time, As the Lord lives, there is but a step between me and death. Sounds like the Apostle Paul who lived in dangers from the rivers, dangers in the cities, dangers from his countrymen, dangers from strangers. Paul lived one step from death. And out of that hazardous situation flowed psalm after psalm after psalm of authentic worship. Not phony worship. Not contrived worship. And so the point here, I think, is this. If we constantly choose the path of safety and comfort and security, instead of venturing hazardous things in obedience to the call of God on our lives, if we're always avoiding getting outside of our comfort zone, if we're always withdrawing from those who might speak evil of us, if we're always saying no to the call to go to a hard place, mark it, our worship will become thin, contrived, inauthentic, shallow, meaningless. Many people know that kind of worship because they have run from the hazards of obedience again and again and again. And they live in the most comfortable circumstances and they try their best to say, it's from God. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God. And it is so hollow. It is so empty. Churches die where people don't venture any hazard in obedience to God. Look at verse 4. I lie in the midst of lions that greedily devour the sons of men. Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongues are sharp swords. They set a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. That's verse 6. We have one of our members in jail in Fargo right now because he stood for righteousness and life. And I admire him. I would almost rather be there than here. That's the kind of people who, when they are then freed, will really worship. They will really know because they've gone deep with God and walked through the valley of hazards and danger. This is essential number one. If God is going to bless this church, if over the long haul, it's easy to be excited today. It's easy to ride on the wings of emotion today. But in the long haul, five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years down the line, you know what will keep it vital? Week in and week out, hazarding things in the power of the Spirit for the name of God. Beyond your comfort zone. That's what will gather us together in power. Well, that's essential number one. Let us make this building a haven between hazards, not a haven from them. Number two, true worship comes from the impulse to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, that was not easy for David to learn, and it's not easy for me to learn. 
or, or you to learn. And the reason there is so much superficial worship in the world is because it's so hard to be humble. It's hard to be broken. And yet David, some years after this event, was still having to learn the lesson. You remember what he wrote after the Bathsheba affair. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. The gateway into this psalm and the gateway into worship is humility. Verse 1, be merciful to me, O God. Only humble people cry for mercy. Mark it. Only humble people cry for mercy. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in thee my soul takes refuge in the shadow of thy wings. Like a little chick, I will take refuge. A few months ago, U.S. News and World Report had a lead story. Many of you remember of it. One of you gave it to me. And the headline on the front of the magazine was, Kids Who Kill. A story about young kids, 13, 14, 15 years old, who in gangs will point a pistol right in a person's chest and kill them. Or one kid just stuck it right in the kid's face and blew his face off. And when they asked these young gang members, um, why, do, why do you do this? Why did you kill him? They answer things like, he put me down. He put me down, man. He made fun of me. I would have looked like a chicken. In other words, the impulse not to be humble is so strong, some people will kill to keep from experiencing it. Now that puts David's words here in the right perspective. David is a great warrior. David is a great man. David was handsome. David was strong. David was a leader. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. He was the anointed of the Lord. And yet, by the grace of God, and I'll tell you, it is only the grace of God, David had an impulse of humility. Had an impulse of humility. Three things in verse 1 show that humility. First, he cries for mercy. And that means he feels unworthy. You don't negotiate with somebody in terms of mercy if you feel an equal, if you feel great, if you feel strong, if you feel adequate. You don't negotiate in terms of mercy. You would negotiate in terms of trade, barter. David doesn't do that because he can't. He knows he can't. He only wants mercy. That's all he asks for. Secondly, he cries out for a refuge. The only people who say, protect me, I need a refuge, are people who feel very vulnerable, who are weak. And David knew he was weak. And third, he said, the refuge is the shadow of God's wings. Now, that's a humiliating metaphor for a warrior to use. What I need is the kind of refuge that looks like wings. Wings. 
So what does that make of him, right? Who hides under wings? Little birds in nests or little tiny chicks on the ground. Now put that in relationship to the gang member. I would have looked like a chicken. I would have looked like a chicken. And David says, I'm just a little chick. That's all I am is a little chick. I may look like a great warrior. I may look like a strong candidate for the crown. I may have 600 warriors behind me, but I'm just a little chick. And if God doesn't come and spread his wings over me, I'm a goner in life. So the point is, the doorway to worship is humility and brokenness. The sacrifice, that is the worship acceptable to God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Number three. True worship comes from the impulse to hope in the triumph of God. We've changed sanctuaries now, but we have not changed theology. There used to be, right about over there, a sign on the parking lot. And on the back of the sign, it said, Hope in God. Now, the sign's gone. But my heart is not gone, and neither is this wonderful brochure that all you guests can pick up called Hope in God. Just a little bit about our church out on the table back there. Hope in God. And And that's not all that hasn't changed about our theology. I still believe with all my heart that one of the best summaries of biblical truth is this sentence. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in God. And I believe that we are most satisfied in God when we hope fully in the sovereign triumph of God over all our enemies and all our sin. Verse 2 shows David's deep assurance that his hope in God will not be frustrated. He says, I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. Or the Hebrew simply says, To the God who completes for me, who finishes for me, who works to the end for me. So David comes to God in this confidence that God is for him, that he has a purpose, and that that purpose will be completed because God is God. Nobody can stop God from doing what he wants to do. And therefore, if what God wants to do is save me, nobody can stop him. And that's exactly what David goes on to say, that it is salvation. Verse 3, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample upon me. In other words, the word that brings David to worship or the impulse that brings David to worship is a readiness to hazard things for God and humility before God and now hope in the sovereign purpose of God to complete 
everything in his life that God intends to complete for his salvation and for his good. Finally, number four. True worship comes from the impulse to hail God among the peoples. Hazard, humble, hope, hail. Hail God. Hail Jesus. I said last week as we left the old sanctuary, there's something about worship that has in its very nature an expansive quality to it. It wants to be out. It wants to be bigger. It wants to be spread. And we read Psalm 103 where the revelation of God comes. The impulse to worship rises. We see its inadequacy and we say, soul, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Well, right here in Psalm 57, there's a confirmation of this same expansive quality. Watch the movement in verses 8 and 9. From the inner preaching to the readiness to proclaim and hail God outwardly. Awake, my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to thee among the nations. I will hail you, O God, on the streets of Minneapolis. I will hail King Jesus in Elliott Park. I will hail King Jesus in Phillips neighborhood and Franklin Avenue in Chicago and the Midwest Health Center for Women, I will hail King Jesus. There is something about authentic worship that once out of this building that will not be content in any room closed in that wants to call all the angels of heaven to say, join me, and to call all of Minneapolis. You know, I was on the phone yesterday. I probably shouldn't say this because it's not going to come true unless God moves. But I was on the phone with the pastor of a very big church in the cities yesterday, and I said, we're going to do Graham Kendrick's Make Way. And he said, really? Wow, good for you. And I said, maybe we should do together sometime. And he said, right on, let's do it. And so I would just guess, I'm just going to guess out loud here, that sooner or later... This is going to be a movement among churches until the whole city is full of processions. We'll see. This is on tape. We'll just see if it's going to come true, (laughs) whether I'm a prophet or not. If God is worth hazarding our comfort zones today, if God is worth humbling ourselves under, if God is worth hoping in as a sovereign Savior, then surely we will want to say, Hail Jesus! Hail King Jesus! Among the peoples and among the nations. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. That's what we're going to do in just a few minutes. And I, I want you to come. I want you to come with us. <laughs> Even if you're scared to death, I want you to come. It's going to be so good. And when we're done and back here, new dimensions of power will have come into your life 
We know that. So many people have experienced that, that when you stretch yourself, God moves in, fills in a new void, and you're a new person. One little practical thing, and we're going to get ourselves ready with the song. Many of you have been stationed with banners and with posters, and you have been told to go to the joy section, the love section, the light section, the king. And on the back of your worship folder, you have a diagram to tell you where you are, and the diagram is wrong. You see these Letters A, F, G, K, L, R, S through Z. I'm going to tell you what the right ones are now. So those of you, this doesn't affect everybody. Well, I suppose if you have a last name, it does. But, but you don't have to go to, to the place, but we hope you will. But those of you with special posters need to know this. Uh, the A through F stays the same. The love section is S through Z. The light section is G through K. That's where L through R is now. And the last one, the King section, is L through R. So I pray that as we walk out of here, you get the refreshments that you want, the kids can pick up whatever is out there for them, and uh, let us find our place and hazard something beyond our comfort zones. Dean, let's sing.